Welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk, where my mom and I discuss topics relevant to the education of young children. I'm Lindsay, and she's Kathy, and we both have our master's degrees in education and kind of nerdily like to talk about educational things. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review it, and subscribe to it. That would really help us out. Today, we're going to be talking about more advanced math concepts, but first, you get to listen in as me and T try to solve a math problem together. Here's a math problem. I baked you some cookies and there were 10 cookies and I put some of the cookies in the cookie jar and I put some of the cookies on a plate. How many cookies could I have put in the cookie jar and how many could I put on a plate if there were 10 cookies? Twinkle, twinkle, stupid little stars. Okay, now you've been silly. Now think of an answer to the question. I baked you 10 cookies. Okay? What'd you just do on your paper? 10. You wrote 10, good. Now, some of the cookies I put in a cookie jar and some of the cookies I put on a plate. How many do you think could be in the cookie jar and how many do you think could be on the plate? That's what the problem is. What's the problem? I don't know how to do missing add-ins. You don't know how to do missing add-ins? Okay, I'm going to help you. We can figure this out, okay? We can figure it out, okay? Take a deep breath. Okay. Okay, every time you get frustrated, it makes it harder for us to solve the problem, okay? So when you get frustrated, you just need to think in your head, I can do this, okay? If you think, I can't do this, it makes it harder, okay? Listen to my story. You ready to listen? I'm going to help you understand it. Okay? I made 10 cookies. And then when I was done, I put some of the cookies in a cookie jar. Right? I put some of them in a cookie jar. I put some of them on a plate. I just want you to show me how I can put 10 cookie jars and put 10 cookies and put some in a jar and some on a plate. We're taking the 10 cookies and we're splitting them up with some in the jar and some on the plate. Okay? How many did you put in the jar and how many did you put in the plate? Five. Five. Five where? Five in the plate and five in the cookie jar. How do you know that we can have five in the plate and five in the cookie jar and still have ten cookies? How do you know that five and five... How do you know that five here and five here will be ten cookies? Because uh, I know it's a double. You know your doubles? What double helped you solve this problem? Five plus five. Good job. Okay. Well, we just heard T try to work out a math problem, which turned out to be more frustrating than I thought it would be. But sometimes applying math to real world situations can take a little effort and a little bit of stamina. So let's talk about math, Mom. Hi, Lens. 
Hey, I just finished a watching a TV show, and on the show, there was a young blonde detective that blonde. <laughs> blonde. <laughs> okay. a young blonde FBI agent that was um, trying to land a plane remotely, trying to divert a catastrophe, and she was um, working really hard and intently and. She's like, oh, no, well, maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. And then she paused for a second and she said, oh, wait, this will work. And the one guy, the FBI agent helping her said, how do you know it will work? And she said, I just did the math. It will work. Well, when did you do the math? What did you write it down on? And she said, I did it in my head where math should be done. Leave me alone. (laughs) Sounds like you. I know. I loved it. <laughs> I think that's where math should be done in your head. Well, I don't totally agree with that because then I could never do math because I have to see it because <laughs> I'm a visual person. But it, hey, that is lots better than the stereotype of math that came with it. Came with the Barbie doll when I was a kid that said. I know. I still feel really bad about that Barbie doll that I didn't buy her because <laughs> the Barbie I thought said, she. Math is hard. Yes, because she was so adorable, and now it's probably worth a thousand dollars. Because they discontinued that thing so fast. <laughs> they recalled her within like a day. But it is it is super prevalent in movies and popular culture to say that math is hard. And to say that math is impossible and out of the reach of most people, we have this really terrible stereotype of math. So I'm glad that you watched a show maybe where, where math was not hard. Math was something she could do successfully. Maybe that means the stereotype mm-hmm. will change. And, we'll... and she was blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget that. She was blonde. She was blonde. <laughs> Well, one way that we're improving math education is by introducing more rigor into our math teaching. Tell me about rigor. Some people hear the word rigor and they assume that that means you're going to make math harder in your classroom or you're going to teach more difficult skills in your classroom or you're going to teach second grade mathematics in your kindergarten classroom. And that's a misunderstanding of what rigor means because rigor doesn't mean teaching anything out of the scope of what your kids can do. It means whatever you teach in your classroom, you're going to teach it to a deep, authentic understanding. So we're not just going to teach counting rote and we're not just going to teach counting at a surface level. We're going to teach the way we talked about before with one-to-one correspondence and conservation of number and cardinality so that when we teach counting, we are teaching with rigor. So they really understand it. And not only do they really understand, they can apply it in their life and in situations that are presented to them. So I would like to talk a little bit about some more complex mathematical concepts and how we can teach them with rigor. All right, let's talk about it. Okay, so the first concept I want to talk about this time is magnitude. Now, when a child understands magnitude, they can judge the relative size and compare sets. 
as children grow, they start to gain a deeper understanding of magnitude. So that by the time they're five, they have a general understanding when two sets are larger or smaller. But we want to really refine that sense of magnitude so that it becomes more specific, I think is what I oh. mean. More, more, so we want to refine that so it becomes more specific. And we also more want refined. To more ref we want to refine it so that it becomes more defined. And we also want to develop their understanding of the relationships between sets as we're helping them compare sets. So we want them to see when a set is one more. We want them to see when a set is one less. And we want them to be able to count on from sets. We want them to be able to count backwards from sets. So any time you're trying to teach a child to count on or to count back, you're teaching them, you're working with their understanding of magnitude and the relationships of the numbers. I really like teaching counting on by using games. There's a game that my kids love to play, and it's in our Arctic unit. And you spin an, a spinner, and you put that many bears hibernating in a den, and then the kids have to name that number of bears that's in the den. Like if you spin a five, they name five. Then you roll a dice to count baby bears, and then you have to add the mama bears and the baby bears together. But you don't want to wake the sleeping bears, and so you have to start with five and then count five, six, seven, eight to name how many bears there are all together. And the kids really like that game because they um, don't want to wake those mama bears because they are pretty mad. <laughs> Never wake up a mama bear. And so that's one that's really fun. I have another one that is, um, I have my kids use a fairy wand and they can, um, when they can touch the kid on the head with the fairy wand, that's when they name the number to count on. And that's a really fun game. You can teach counting on in a lot of ways where you just remove their ability to count from the beginning of the first set. So if you have a game and you give them two dice, give them one dice that just has a number written on it and another dice that has a dot cube. And then they have to, they have to count. They, they can't count over from one or hide one set after they've counted it so they can't recount it. But we also need to back up and just can't practice having them count forwards and count backwards and see the relationships. Uh, a game that Vanderwall uses for this, I don't know what he calls it, but you pull up a, a group of children, say you have five children, so you pull up five chairs, one for each child, and you have them sit in front of the group. And then and then each child will stand and say their number. So in the first chair, the child stands up and says one, and then two stands up, three stands up, four stands up, five stands up, and then five sits down and says five, sit down four, sit down three, sit down two, sit down one, then they all say blast off, which is really fun. And then you just change the number of kids in the chairs, and that's good practice for counting forward and counting backward, which also will help build relationships at a more basic level. I like that game. I'm going to have my kids do it tomorrow. I'll let you know. <laughs> Another part of magnitude and relationships is tying numbers to the benchmark numbers of 5 and 10. 
And our number system is a base 10 number system, which means that we have individual numbers for 1 through 9. But once we get to 9, we run out of numbers. So we have to start over with 1 and a 0. And there's other base number systems. Uh, there's base two, binary is a base 2 system, which is why there's only 1s and zeros. And hexadecimal is a base 16 system, which is why once they get to 9, they have to start over, when they don't start over, once they get to 9, the next number is A, B, C, so that they can have 16 individual characters. Well, so, this, uh, mm -hmm. so I know where they use binary numbers in computers. But where do you need a base 16? It's computers. Oh, it's computers too? Yeah, hexadecimal is a programming language too. Oh, okay. My husband can tell you more about that. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so our number is base 10 systems. So the, it's useful for them to have a connection. One thing I really like with how math has moved forward is I love 10 frames. Using 10 frames, children really can get a sense of seeing what numbers mean. And so I have a lot of um, times that I just rearrange the 10 frame, hold it up quickly, and the kids can tell me the numbers. And they're able to really quickly identify what number I'm holding up by um, using techniques like grouping or doubles or one more. Or like if they like if I have four, they notice one's taken away from the five line. So I really like ten frames. Another tool that I really like to use to help tie numbers to five and ten is reckon recs. I love them because they're another way for kids to visualize what number means. So if you have a row of ten and you the number six and you slide five over and one more they can see it six and then they can still see the four left over <laughs> a wreck and wreck is a great tool because it is lined up in two rows and each row has five red beads and five white beads so when you show a number on a wreck and wreck by sliding over sliding it over to one side they automatically tie into five or 10 because of the colors of the beads. I love Reckon Rex. I think they, you can do a lot of good activities with them. If you saw our math worksheet that we have to do that has a fake Reckon Rex, uh, Reckon Rex however you say it, made out of paper, and they have to count them and then circle, oh, if you saw it, you would just die. I would probably die. <laughs> Should we rant about worksheets a little bit? No, that was just a little side note. All right, so let's. The next concept I want to talk about is subitizing because subitizing. <laughs> it's subitizing. Subi subitizing. <laughs> okay, so subitizing. <laughs> okay, fine. Go with subitizing. Supertizing is a way of showing children how the, the spatial relationship of numbers. And an easy way to explain supertizing is when you roll the dice, if you know what number you've rolled without having to count the dots on the dice, then that is supertizing. It's being able to know how many there are without counting. And I love to do quick images to teach supertizing. Do you do quick images? So why don't you tell me how you can really uh, make the most of a subitizing activity? All right, well, let me give you an example of a lesson I like to do with subitizing. 
So I would make a collection of paper plates and on the plates I would draw dots. And the dots I would put on the plate in a very strategic way in order to teach something. So let's say I was working on adding and subtracting within five. Then all of the dots on my plates would be five, but it would be arranged in different ways to try to help the kids see all of the relationships. So my first one might have a group of four dots in the middle and one dot over in the side. And the next might have a row of two and a row of three. So every time I would arrange five differently. And then I would show the kids one of the plates for a few seconds and then turn it around so they can't see it anymore. And then I would say, what did you see? And they would tell me what they saw. And then I would say, okay, why? Why do you think you saw five? And then they would tell me, well, I saw four and one more. Okay, well, come up here, draw me a picture of what you saw. And then they might draw some dots on the board of the four and the one. And then I'd say, okay, who else saw four and one? And one kid might not have. They might have saw two and three. That, yeah, two and three. And so they would say, oh, I didn't see four and one. I saw two and three. And I'd say, oh, really? Well, come up and look at Johnny's picture and show us how you saw two and three. And so they might come up and circle the two and the three. And then I'd say, okay, well, I think we, we everybody thinks that it's five. And so I'll show them the plate again and we'll confirm that it's five and we'll see the different relationships that the kids saw and then we'll put that plate down and we'll get the next plate and we'll show that plate. So if you just show it to them and then you take it away, then it could it might not have a lot of value, but if you show it to them and you then you have the discussion about the relationships that they see, you can build a lot of that that's where you build their understanding of the relationship of the number they see. And the fun thing about subitizing is that you can use dot plates, you can use 10 frames, you can use pictures of something you're studying. Maybe you're studying the ocean, so you use pictures of fish. You can, you could even make it really fun and use chairs and then ask how many chairs do you see? How many legs did you see? Or shoes, how many pairs of shoes did you see? How many individual shoes did you see? Um, or you can do subitizing with a wreck and wreck. I, I, kids really like subitizing and they can really hook into it, especially because it can be so open-ended on the answers that they can give because everybody can see it in a different way. Another way to support it is to have each child have a way of recreating what they saw. So give them some counters or give them some paper and then when you show it to them after you take it away have them draw or represent what they see that gives them a little bit of individual accountability too and after you've built up these math skills then you can start building the skills that kids need for addition and subtraction it's important to remember that addition and subtraction are not really different things Hey, but wait, I'm really busy telling my students they're different and they have to really pay attention to the addition sign and the subtraction sign. Yes, well, and that's because you're focused on solving the number sentence. 
And if we're focused on just giving a number sentence and solving it, then yeah, there's a difference between what you go through. But there's a but there is a relationship between addition and subtraction and just giving kids number sentences and asking them to solve them is not going to help them understand the relationship between addition and subtraction and it's not going to help them understand when addition and subtraction apply to certain situations. For example, if I gave a kid the problem, Joey had three cars and then he went to the store and he got some more cars. Now he has 10 cars. Is that an addition problem or a subtraction problem? It's a mental math problem. <laughs> <laughs> you just figure it out in your head and move on. <laughs> okay, if you're a kindergartner and your teacher says, Joey has three cars, he went and got, is that, did I say three first? I think so. I think I did. Joey has three cars. He went to the store and got some more cars. Now he has 10 cars. How many cars did he get? If you're a kindergartner, do you solve that problem with addition or subtraction? With counting on. Maybe. See, there's a lot of situations where that's an, there's no right answer to that question. Actually, it's probably a subtraction problem. It sounds like addition but you solve it with subtraction. 10 minus three is seven. He got seven cars from the store. They're kind of the same thing. You can solve that problem by counting forward or you can solve that problem by counting back. So if we just focus on solving number sentences, then we're not, solving, we're not focusing on problem solving, which is how you teach addition and subtraction with rigor. And one way to build a child's ability to use addition and subtraction with rigor is not by focusing on solving a bunch of problems but by focusing on the part-whole relationship of number. And that means that they understand that a number is composed of its whole and its parts. So you can take the number 7 and you can take that number 7 apart into 1 and 6 or 2 and 5 in a variety of ways. So you can build that understanding by playing a lot of games and doing a lot of activities where the part-whole relationship of numbers becomes apparent. Well, one activity that's really easy to do is just to do it with, like, have all the girls in your class come up and do um, rearrange them in different ways. Like if there's eight girls and put two on one side and six on the other side, how many are there, and just um, have the kids rearrange themselves. So if I make a circle of my group and I have the girls, I'll stand in the middle and we count how many there are, I, I will say rearrange and then they go stand in a group of their own choosing. And so then we record how many kids, like there's two and three and, okay, there's eight girls, right? <laughs> two and three and three. So 2 plus 3 plus 3 equals 8. Okay, rearrange. And so they rearrange again, and I keep recording all the different ways that they're making parts out of the whole of 8. And so then the boys come up. And that's a really fun, easy, quick way to work on that. Uh, that just reminded me of one I like, where I would take two different colors of bear counters, uh, like red ones and green ones, only red ones and green ones, because I didn't want to work with three but I would, and then I would take a cup, and when the kids couldn't see, I would put some red and some green into the cup, 
and then I would put the cup somewhere they could see it and say, okay, everybody, I have eight bears in this cup right here. Some of them are red, some of them are green. I want you to figure out how many are red and how many are green. And then I'd give them a piece of paper and some manipulatives and maybe some bear counters for the manipulatives and ask them to try to figure out how many were red and how many were green. And a lot of kids would come up with one solution. Like four plus four is eight is usually what they would come up with because tuples are easy. Um, so a lot of kids will come up with one solution and then I will walk around and I, I will inevitably see one kid who's come up with more than one solution. And I will draw attention to that kid and say, oh look, Johnny thought of two different ways that there could be eight bears in my cup. Mm. You know what? He has two chances of being right because the more ways you think of, the better the chances you'll know what's in my cup. And then all the kids get really excited. Oh, there is more than one way to have eight bears. So they all try to come up with as many different ways of making eight as they can. And then we dump out the cup and we see how many were red and how many were green. And I like that activity because it's very open-ended and it encourages them to try to come up with more than one way to make eight for a real reason because they want mm -hmm. to figure me out. So I like that one too. I like that too because it really is making them come up with the, the ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think that's enough talking about math for now. All right. I need to go watch another television show where there might be a blonde <laughs> saying, I did it in my head. I did it in my head because I'm brilliant. Because that's where math belongs. I don't know. I'm going to argue with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for chatting, Lindsay. It was lots of fun. I hope, And I hope everyone enjoyed listening. All right, see you next week. You're, you're up next week. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.